Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Hey, John 20 is our scripture for this series. John 20, verse 31. And here's what it says. By these, but these are written that you may, what? May believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, in his name. So we, we need to understand that the miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John are not just recorded so theologians can talk about them or that historians can say, yep, we can, we can mark that day when water was wine and we can mark that day when, when uh, Jesus uh, told the lame man to pick up his mat and walk. We, we can historically mark time with these events. No, no, no. These things were written so that we would believe that our faith would rise and that we would just believe that Jesus could do miracles. No, that he's the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I want to tell you a story about a man because in a few moments, we're going to look at the storm that the disciples were in and the next miracle where Jesus actually walks on the water. And so I looked up storms, and I found this man, Andres Lopez. Now, he thought he could ride out the hurricane, Hurricane Irma, September 12, 2017, 150 to even 180 mile an hour sustained winds. He thought he could ride out the storm in his 25-foot boat. That was not just his recreation boat, but it was his home. The boat's name was Run Running, and Run Running he did. At one point, the, the, the inside cabin turned into a washing machine. Water was going from side to side. He was thrown violently all over the boat. And Lopez did not want to abandon his ship. He said, I'm going to make it somehow. Isn't it interesting how people say, I'm going to make it somehow? in the fires that we've seen uh, in California in our history and even of the last few weeks where people with a garden hose say, I'm going to fight the fire on my house. And they don't heed the words of the authorities that say, evacuate now. Even a mandatory evacuation. Can I just give you a word from the pastor? If someone tells you in law enforcement, if someone tells you in the fire department, evacuate, do it. Good morning. Do it. No, not me. We're going to ride it out. Well, let me tell you. Let me give you a word again. This is a powerful word of truth. Just evacuate. Be ready to evacuate and evacuate. Right? Good. Five people. Okay. Okay. Don't put our first responder in harm's way having to come back and try to find you. Right? Well, <laughs> Andres Lopez would have done a smart thing by not being on the boat, by getting, making sure he was on dry ground and going as high as he could. But instead, he said, no, I'm going to ride it out. I'm going to ride it out. Drown or go, he said. I told myself, I got to go. And so I stood on the deck of my boat, and for about 30 seconds, I took in as much oxygen in my lungs, and I dove into the water, leaving my boat behind. I looked behind me, and my boat was flipping over end to end, and I ended up 100 yards on a little sliver of land 
that was a windbreak for a place called Coconut Grove Sailing Club and Marina. After I spat out salt water, (laughs) caught my breath, I clung to a tree for about two hours, and the storm surged again, and the waters rose above this little sliver of land, and I was back in the ocean again. I was carried about 250 yards and slammed my body into a backstop of a baseball field. And there I lay for a long time. I lost everything, he said. My entire life was on that boat. But when I find a way, I'm going to repair that little dinghy. I want to try to go and turn her over and save her life. Well, the story goes on. You could actually read it online. It's all there for you. But here's one thing he said at the very end. He said, I can't believe that I'm alive. I went through the worst storm possible. He said, you ever seen that movie, The Perfect Storm? He said, I lived it. It was my personal disaster movie. And as I read his story, I thought, what a great way to start talking about storms. Maybe you've had a storm in your life. Maybe you're in one now. Maybe right now you're saying, hey, pastor, I'm glad you're talking about the miracle of Jesus walking on the water in the midst of the storm, because I'm just, hey, my life right now is just so easy. Everything's fine. Can I prophesy to you? There will be a storm. I don't know when it's coming, but it's going to come. And somebody goes, oh, man, I went to church to hear gloom and doom. No. Storms are inevitable. They're a part of our life. John 6, 16 to 21 says, when the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into the boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. Earlier in the gospel, in this chapter six, we find out that Jesus had left. He had retreated from all the people. He just finished, remember last week, he just finished feeding, having, having uh, fed 5,000 plus And so they go, he must be God, and they want to make him king. And rather than being forced to be the king, he retreats to be alone with God, and the disciples are now out in the boat. Other gospels tell us that Jesus said, get in the boat and go across the lake, and I'll meet you on the other side. And what happened was it was dark. They're without Jesus. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. The mighty ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, (laughs) the disciples would be lost, right? Come on. The ship set ground. Okay, forget it. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Don't you want to say, yeah, right? In the darkness, Jesus coming, looking like a ghost on the water. They've been rowing all night. The Bible says in other Gospels that they set out at sunset, and now it's 3 a.m., and they're rowing into the wind, and they're not going very far at all, and they're willing to take him into the boat. Good for you, disciples. They were willing to take Jesus in. What would you have done? Absolutely. Come aboard, Jesus. Permission to come aboard? Come aboard. There's a storm, and we think we're going to sink. And we're not sure what's going to happen with our lives, except to know that we're not going very far. 
See, the story is well known, but it reminds us of, and just write this down if you would, and you're going to go, I can't believe we're writing this down. Storms are a part of life. They are. Sometimes people think if you give your life to Jesus, you're immune from problems. I had a guy tell me a few years ago, that's when my problem started. Because before that, I just lived like hell. And now I asked Jesus to be in my heart and my life, and, and I started reading my Bible, I started listening to sermons, and, and pretty soon I got this Holy Spirit that comes and, and, and pushes me when I try to think the wrong thought or do the wrong thing or, or treat somebody the wrong way. No one gets to live a life without setbacks. And I know there's some pastors in America, God bless them, that's good, good for them. I'm not judging them, but every week they're telling you how Jesus is going to protect you and keep you from the storms. Doesn't say that. But by, by the way, I've got a proof text. The proof text is the first followers of Jesus, the disciples, the original, the original group, are in a storm. And they are frightened. By the way, they're fishermen. They understand storms. They understand boats. They understand how winds and waves work. They understand the Sea of Galilee that's 600 feet below sea level in a cup-like depression among the hills. And when the sun sets, the air cools. And as the cooler air from the west rushes down over the hillside, the resilient wind churns the lake. Since the disciples were rowing toward Capernaum, they were heading into the wind. Consequently, they made little progress. So if you follow Jesus, you better expect storms because the disciples did. And that's what happened in their life. Finances, health, misunderstandings, loss of loved ones, horrible, no good, very bad news. Working with teammates that aren't the best to work with, working for a boss who's a tyrant. <clears throat> None of you understand that. Uh, living in conditions that you'd rather not live in, uh, being married to somebody that, <clears throat> anyway, uh, in this story, all the elements of a perfect storm, but Jesus isn't there yet. The disciples are there, and they're afraid. Verse 17 and 18, and now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them, and a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew, what? Rough. The wind is strong. Matthew's gospel records this way, 1424, but the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, and the waves and the wind were contrary, contrary, opposite, not what they wanted. By the way, this word contrary reminds me of one thing, control. Control is an illusion. Did you know that? I'm going to control what happens next. You can't control it. You know, somebody said, well, well, my marriage is going to improve, but you only get one vote. That's two votes to make the marriage improve. Did you know that? It's two votes. Well, my, she says, it's going to get better. And he says, uh, it ain't. She got a problem on her hands. Or you can't force your kids to do what you want them to do. You can try. You can punish them. You can't change their heart, can you? They have to want to change their heart. They have to want to change their, their, their goals in, in life. Control is an illusion. And if you're a control freak, God bless you. God bless you. Because life happens, and sometimes it happens in a way that you did not design it. And then when you try to control it, I'm going to ride this storm out. Eventually, you recognize you got to jump off the boat, kind of like Andres Lopez did. The second thing is Jesus comes to us in the storm. I love this. We are not alone in our storm. Let me say it again. 
We're not alone in our storm. He comes to us. In John 6, 19, it says, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. (laughs) Maybe this is all we need to know. Because John doesn't give us a whole description of what Jesus looked like. We've seen pictures. We've seen video. Ghostly like a presence. We, We don't know for sure what exactly happened in this moment. But maybe we don't need to know everything. We just need to know this. Jesus shows up in the storm. And then verse 20, he says this. It is I. Don't be afraid. And don't you want to say, yeah, right. Come on. Don't be afraid. Every time Jesus appears, and especially the angels in the Bible, every time the angels come, do not fear, fear not. And you're going, are you crazy? Shepherds watching their flock by night, and the angel shows up. Do not be afraid. That's when you should be afraid. You know, it's dark out here, and all of a sudden, here comes these these angels with the glory of God on them. But when Jesus shows up, we don't need to be afraid. And he says these words, it is I. And the Greek translation is not, it is I. The Greek translation is, I am. I am. You ever heard I am before? When God called Moses, Moses said, well, who will I tell Pharaoh that, that I, I was sent by whom? What will I say? What's my calling card? What's my connection? And God tells Moses, just say, I am. I am. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am. I am who? I'm all you need. I'm the answer in the storms. I'm the one who can take care of your problems. I'm your calm. I'm your peace. I'm your sanity in the midst of the storm. I'm the one that can take away your anxiety in that moment. I am. I am, I am, I am. And by the way, let me tell you this. Thousands of years later, the character of God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am is with us. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm sorry that you're going through it. I have compassion for you. But here's what I know. You have to invite Jesus into your boat. Because the disciples at one point in this story actually say, come aboard. And when he comes aboard... There's a change in the storm, but the biggest change was in their hearts, where Jesus was with them, where God was with them, where the power of the Holy Spirit was with them. I don't know what you're facing right now, but I would like to read a scripture over your life. I'd like to read this scripture over our city. I'd like to read this scripture over our church. It comes from the prophet Isaiah chapter 43, and here's what it says. Don't Be afraid. Just let that sink in. Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. And when you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. And when you're in the rough waters, you will not go down. And when you're between a rock and a hard place, anybody there? It won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. What love the Father has lavished on us. So don't be afraid, because I'm with you. And maybe there's one person here, or one person watching online that has forgotten the presence of God is with them. They've allowed the storms to crowd out his presence. They've allowed the difficulties in life to somehow keep them from recognizing that God is with them. 
It's not the problem we need to look at. It's the promise we need to look at. It's the focus that says no matter what happens in my life, God is with me. Can I tell you that Jesus is familiar with storms? You might say, what does Jesus Jesus know? Well, you ever been betrayed by someone? Ask Jesus if he gets it. If you're not sure that Jesus gets it, just remember the story of Judas who betrayed the Lord. Some of you might say, well, well, what about Jesus? What would Jesus understand about, about being left alone or, or not being encouraged in a time? Do you know that he fed, just as we talk about, 5,000 plus people? Ask the question, how many of those people walked to the cross with him? It was a lonely walk for Jesus up Calvary's hill. Very few were there, and very few were there that were close to Jesus. When the going gets tough, guess what happens? Our friends get going away from us, huh? And rather than coming to us or, or, or being there for us, they go, they go away from us because life moves on real fast. And not saying that people don't mean well or that people are trying to harm us, but life just clicks on and like, oh, I care about you. I'll be there for you. Yeah, and then three weeks, three days, sometimes three hours, sometimes three minutes. You can, I'll be your best friend. We'll be BFFs forever. Five minutes later, you can't find them, right? But Jesus, Hebrews 4.15, understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. Isn't that great? See, sometimes God calms the storms, and sometimes God calms us. Don't you wish that God would just put his hand out and calm every storm in your life? Well, maybe but I'll tell you what's really great is when he calms you on the inside. You're not nervous. You're not fearful. You're, you're not consumed with the problem at all, but you're consumed with the presence of God. That's not just hype. That's hope. That's truth for us. And number three, in the storm, we learn much about Jesus and we learn much about ourselves. These disciples in the boat are learning a lesson Jesus coming to them in the storm. I wonder when Peter was thrown into prison if he remembered how Jesus came to him in the boat. I wonder when John was exiled on the island of Patmos if he remembered how Jesus came to him in the boat. I I wonder if James, when he went through difficulties and hardships, if he remembered that time where Jesus came to him in the middle of the storm. I think it's good for us to remember and rehearse the times that God has come through for us and where Jesus has done a miracle in our life, where he made a way where there seemed to be no way. We can easily forget that, how God got us through when we were 12 years old. There's no way I'm going to make it. Or when when we got on a, a baseball team or a football team and we didn't think anybody would give us playing time, and they did, we, we, we made it. Or how we got into school or we got our first job or how they promoted us. And you knew deep down inside they were better candidates than than you. But somehow you got promoted. Wow. Or how God in, in your loneliness allowed you to have people around you. Or how you found that wonderful husband or wife who's probably sitting right next to you. And you should say, thank you, God, for them. Guys, guys, pay attention. You should have just said to the wife next to you, thank God for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to help you, brothers. A little slow today, a little slow today. Yeah, yeah. 
God has allowed us the experience in our life. Not saying he caused the storm, but he allowed the comfort of his presence and the answers that came to help you so you'd always remember them to give you comfort and courage in your future. Difficulty is the soil into which God plants the seeds of faith. Now, many of you would say this. I've gotten closer to God in the difficulties of life than when everything was just cruising nice and easy. A lot of people get close to God in the darkness because that's when they see his light or in a time of just, just tragedy or, or physical issues or disease or conditions or whatever it might be where God shows up in a way that you don't always see him when you're not in the storm. Now, I want to give you three negative responses to storms. And I've seen these in my 41 years of ministry. I've seen these happen a lot. The first one is drifting from our calling. When stuff hits the fan, I'll just say it that way, when bad stuff happens, when the wheels come off, it's easy for us to, to drift away from God. And you would think it would be the opposite. Something bad happens and we press into his presence. But I've actually watched people drift away from God like, like, like the sheep do. Now, how many know that we are sheep? You know that? The Bible calls us sheep. Good. Four people. That's good. Uh, sheep. Yeah, we're sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. And what do sheep do? Well, they walk away. Because sheep are really what? Dumb. Last service, last service some guy blurted out, not very intelligent. I said, that's politically correct. That's good. <laughs> sheep are not that intelligent. And so what happens is you don't drift away all the way at once. You go from, well, if you're sheep, from tuft of grass here to tuft of grass here to, to tuft of grass here. Ooh, this is gourmet grass. Ooh, this has a little pesto and garlic grass. Over here, oh, I like this. This is, this is nacho grass, you know. But it's my grass. It's not your grass, but my grass. Anyway, we go to the next tuft. We go to the next tuft. And pretty soon we look back and we go, whoo, how did we get away this far? It doesn't happen all at once, but it does happen inch by inch, foot by foot, mile by mile. And we start to drift away from our calling. And we say this sometimes if we're not careful. What's the use in trying? The world's a mess. I'm a mess. My problems are here. It's a mess. I just give up. But the second thing we do too is, is we can be discarding what we value the most. When the clouds come, when the storms come, when the, when the raging sea comes, we find ourselves in intense pain, in long duration of storms, our priorities change. We let go of what's mattered greatly to us. We, we stop reading the Bible. We say, well, I, just, I, I can get by on old Sunday school lessons or old sermons old youth group talks, right? But rather, that's the time where we should value what we value the most, and we should stay constant in our faith and in our presence with God. And then I see this a lot, despairing about the future. We figure we're doomed, we're finished, and we start to write the last chapters of our life based on the storm that we're in right now, based on the conditions that we're facing right now. I've seen people react to crisis in these three ways. And they start to drift away from what God has called them to do and what God has called them to be. Here's my encouragement to you. Don't you dare do that. Don't discard what you value. Don't drift from your calling. Don't despair about your future. But say, I know that God is with me 
And as Psalm 23, 4 says, that even though I walk the darkest valley, I will, I will fear no evil. Huh. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm not going to fear any evil. Why? Because you're with me. That's the key. That if you have Christ in your heart and you invite him into your life and you follow after the Holy Spirit, that no matter what happens on the outside, the outside storms don't become inside storms. You know that what happens. If you let the outside storm become an inside storm, your boat sinks. Now, here, here's what I'm going to say real quick. I'm not going to ride a hobby horse very long. Real, real fast. Real fast. By the way, if you ride a hobby horse, it only goes downhill. Okay? I'm not going to ride it very long. I'm just going to get on it for a second. There's lots of people who get caught up in talking about the storm, dissecting the storm, dissecting the people who are talking about the storm, commenting on those who just commented about the storm, rather than saying, you know what? We'll get through this together, and we'll get through this because Jesus is our Lord, and he's our helper. We can dissect every little thing. I mean, a couple, a married couple can come together and dissect every little Well, last night, you didn't tell me you loved me before I went to bed. That's the third night in a row. What's going on? Oh, I don't know. I just, I foolishly forgot. No, there's something going on deeper than that. Oh, there's nothing going on, I promise. Oh, yes, there is. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. And now we talk about how many times or how many nights or how many this or how many that. And we get dissect the dissect of the dissect until we're so dissected, we even forgot what the original problem was. Come on. It's happening all over our world. Here's, here's what I say. Let me just help you. Look at the problem and say, Lord, we have a problem. And then say, Lord, the greatest thing is we have you. Help us. Show us. Use your word. Use people that are filled with the Spirit around us to give us great advice. We're going to get through this. Because here's a phrase we use all the time in this church, and I know I'm repeating myself, but a lot of people are new. And a lot of people are new watching online. It's not all about this, and it's not all about now. It's not in your notes, but you should write it down. It's not all about this. It's not all about now. Oh, my life's coming in. It's all about this. Do you know what happened in the next part of this story? After Jesus gets in the boat, they end up on the shore. This was not the end of their life. And sometimes people go, it's all about this. It's all about now. And they look at the problem so much that they forget the promise. Don't look at the problem so much that you forget the promise. I love Romans 8, 38 and 39. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Now, I love the Apostle Paul here. He anticipates his listeners' questions before they ask them. He could have said this, nothing will separate us from the love of God. And somebody's going, what about angels or demons? Already got it. Well, what about living or dead? Already took care of that. Well, what about tomorrow? Took care of that too. It's already there. What about things in high places or things in low places? Got that too. What about, well, what about things we can't even think about? The unthinkable. And what about things we can't think about? I got that too. Then he says, this is absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, come on, has, has embraced us. Little girl went to summer camp. First time to be gone for five days from home. Beautiful lake, beautiful mountains, 
And the next morning after the first day of frivolity and campfires and camp food, yay, camp food, she wouldn't come in the cabin. And so the group leader went outside, called her by name, Jackie, Jackie, are you homesick? She said, no, I'm not. Are you sure you're not homesick? No, I'm here sick. I'm sick of being here. Yeah, I'm here sick, not homesick. Some of you might be here sick. But here's the questions I want to ask you before we get ready to wrap this up. How can God use the situation of today to build your faith for tomorrow? Not saying that God's causing all the problems or the storms, but how can he use it for the faith that you will need tomorrow? See, God's already lived in our tomorrows. He knows what they're going to be like. There's things he's doing with you now. He's shaping you and molding you and putting faith in your heart so tomorrow you'll be able to say, Lord, I I trust in you. How can you do better at recognizing Jesus' presence in the midst of your storms? Because he's there. But sometimes he's hard to see in a storm. Could God use the storms of today to define your calling and your ministry tomorrow where the things that you're facing today will actually be used to help somebody else going through a similar problem in the future? And what is God trying to teach me in the midst of the storm? What does he want me to know? John 6, 21 says they were willing to take him into the boat. Good job, disciples. And immediately the boats reached the shore where they were heading. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.